Hey, this is Chris Higdon from the band Elliot in Louisville, Kentucky, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode. And I have a special guest co-host with me today, returning guest, Nathan Gray of Nathan Hi. Gray and the Iron Roses. Nathan, say hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I am doing great. It's wonderful to have you here. Nathan, it's been so long since we have spoken. I think, I think you were on the show March of last year. Yes. That's crazy, Ooh. right? Wow. It's been forever. Yeah, that feels like, I, I mean, I feel like four lifetimes have happened in that short amount of time. Honestly, with the way things have been going, it basically is yeah. four lifetimes, yes. Did you ever imagine at that time last year that we would both end up on the same record label? I had no idea such a thing would happen. Me either. It's a very yeah. pleasant surprise. It is very nice. It's one of the pleasant surprises that happened in the past two years. <laughs> Absolutely. We are excited to bring you a very, very awesome interview today. I've spoken to Joey Chiramonti of Koyo, and you are absolutely going to love it. Koyo is a quickly rising, awesome emo post-hardcore band. If you haven't heard them yet, I really recommend you do so. We cover it all. We cover the history of Koyo. We cover the band's recent tour with Knocked Loose. We cover what's coming up with the band and you're going to absolutely love it. But before we get to that, let me get some business out of the way. Here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Follow us on YouTube. We've got three channels now. We've got a main channel with full episodes of the podcast. We've got a clips channel with highlights from our favorite episodes. And we have a brand new gaming channel, which has highlights from my Twitch streams. So give those a follow. And folks, I have some very, very exciting news. We have a brand new new scene storefront over at Death Wish Inc. We've got t-shirts. You have been asking for t-shirts and I have finally delivered. We've got a t-shirt version of the Life is Music is Life long sleeve shirt. We have logo tees in various different colors just in time for summer. If you want to support the show, buying a t-shirt is a great way to do it. Those funds directly support this show and the costs associated with operating the show. So go check them out. They're great shirts. You want one, you need one. If you like what you hear, if you like the show, if you haven't given us a rating yet, open up your Apple podcast or Spotify application, hit that five-star button. It'll really help us out in the long run. So thank you so much to everybody who has submitted a review. And if you write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on the air. And don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. We've got big news, folks. The Stretch Armstrong Rituals of Life LP Repress is now available for pre-order over at Iodine Recordings. I consider this record a classic, and I hope that you do too. It's awesome. It's an awesome band. I'm happy to be label mates with them now. Nathan, I'm sure you are too, right? It's Stretch Armstrong. Oh, without a doubt. Brilliant, brilliant album. I yeah. love it. It holds up. And that Cure cover at the end. I mean, come yes. on. Yeah, yeah. Can't beat that. 
impossible to beat that. So pre-orders are up. <laughs> Secure your copy today. All right. So let's talk music recommendations. Now, of course, I'm going to recommend Koyo because they're awesome and they're on the show this week. If you haven't heard their latest single, Straight North, you have to. It's an awesome, awesome song that I keep going back to. Great post-hardcore slash emo slash uh, with a tinge of heaviness. Check it out. You're going to love it. And, you know, in this conversation with Joey from Koyo, we we talk about Blink-182 at one part in the discussion and our mutual love of the band. And that got me thinking, wait a second. There's a Blink-182 album I have not heard yet, a Mark and Tom album from back in the day called Neighborhoods. It's the last album they did together before Mark left the band. So I threw that on and I got really hooked by the song After Midnight. It's great. I listened to it like five or six times in a row over the course of last weekend. Amazing song. Check it out. I'll put that on our Spotify 2022 playlist along with Koyo. Go check it out. How about you, Nathan? What have you been listening to lately? Oh my goodness. I listen to a lot of things. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, a, a lot of the stuff that I've listened to is sort of old <laughs> at this point, like The Clash and um, like uh, Otis Redding and things, you know. But if I were to pick anything that's happening right now, it, it would probably be I listened to that band Cat Bite from Philly. Yeah. They're a ska punk band and they're brilliant. Absolutely awesome and great people. We uh we actually did a um, a record release show and they played with us in Philly on that. Um, another artist that I've been listening to a lot is actually a hip hop artist from uh, originally from Tampa, but she lives in Atlanta now called Zalarina, mm. and that's sort of my listening experience right now. A lot of hip hop, uh, some ska and reggae stuff. Um, and a lot of the punk stuff that I'm listening to or hardcore stuff is sort of dated <laughs> to say the least, you know? Um, so that's, that's sort of it at this moment. Well, your taste seems to be pretty eclectic and I like that cause I can get hung up on one thing, but you're all over the map. And I think that's a great thing. It's everywhere. Ska, reggae, hip hop, punk, hardcore, metal, pretty much everything. Yeah. And I always say this on the show, but having such eclectic taste and all of these different influences to pull from. It probably really helps you with the creation of your music, yes? Oh, without a doubt. It keeps you from getting stuck, you know? Because I think a lot of times, I I mean, even dating back with like Voice That's Fire when I was doing that stuff, it's, it's very important to not just keep rehashing the same thing. And so now with Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses, it's very important for me, once again, every album, every song, everything I do to keep pushing the envelope a little bit and keep doing new things and different things and not get myself stuck. Yeah, that's the way to go. You know, I, I, I have found in the past that I just kind of keep re rewriting the same song over and over. So with my latest project, I'm really trying to take more input from others and pull from different areas. That's a great idea. I mean, that's actually what I do now. I mean, besides pulling from different areas, whether it's like, you know, older punk stuff like Buzzcocks or uh, The Clash, things like that, that have always been an inspiration to me, uh, then going to newer like ska punk bands, you know what I mean? Like Catbite or reggae bands and things like that, hip hop uh, artists that influence me. Because everything I'm going to do is always going to be, you know, punk adjacent. 
yeah. you know, but, but it's gonna, it's gonna need different tinges, different inspirations. And not only that, but also not allowing that this is Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses to take over the Iron Roses. You know what I mean? My name not being, okay, we're just going to do things like this, you know? So I always make sure that the people who I play music with have sort of a say and a function in what we do and can be like, hey, we should really play it this way or try it this way with this style or this influence, you know? Um, And that really helps out a lot. That's the way to go. And you just reminded me, Nathan, another recommendation, Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses, Rebel Songs. That song is so catchy. Thank I you. was listening to it earlier today mm-hmm. and I was singing the chorus right before I signed on with you. And I yeah. was like, I have to stop because if I'm singing Nathan's <laughs> song as I join the session, it's going to be embarrassing <laughs> for me and for him. <laughs> oh, no, that's OK. I love to hear that because that is honestly um, that that's always been my thing is the hook yeah. of a song. I love that stuff. Like I don't play prog rock, you know what I mean? Like I play pretty simple songs and it is always sort of a, uh, I guess like a, a thing of mine to see how catchy I can get it. You know, I sit down like the verse, the chorus, the bridge, whatever else, what have you, even if I try to create a song that maybe isn't a standard like uh setup. You know what I mean? Uh, to still find where that hook is that's going to grab people. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm big on song structure and mm-hmm. being able to identify parts of the song and a, a catchy mm-hmm. part. I, I want that. I need that. Yeah, me too. I'm going to add that song to our New Scene 2022 Spotify playlist as well. You can always check that playlist to hear all or most of the music that we talk about as long as it's on Spotify. So Go check that out and check back in with us at segment three. You'll hear about how we are doing. You'll hear what's coming up with Nathan. But right now, we are going to speak to Joey Chiramonti of Coyo. Enjoy. here now with joey charamonti joey welcome to the show thank you so much for having me i appreciate it psyched to be here yes it's great to have you here joey you know folks you don't know this but joey and i have been working on getting him on the show and recording for weeks now joey was 
kind enough to talk to us live from tour. Now, Joey, I'm surprised that you can be in a van and do a podcast and then go in and, you know, sound check and play a show a couple hours later. Yeah, well, with we took an honest crack at it, but there's, you know, the, the honest truth is I, I can be in a van and I can do a podcast, but with the equipment that I was working with, which was AirPods, my laptop, and my phone's mobile hotspot, it, uh, it, that's basically how we got to where we are now, where it just didn't work. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we tried our best though. We we got a good fifteen minutes in, but then it just wasn't working. Yeah, it was an honest fight. I was running around the venue because I I had found so this whole we can get into this in a little bit if you want or yeah because I I want to start off by talking about the amazing tour you just got off of with Knocked Loose Movements and Kubla Khan. It it was amazing indeed, but that particular night of it, ironically enough, is like both the funniest and kind of universally looked at as like worst night of tour. So like, it's funny. Like I didn't even know if they had venue Wi-Fi, and I finally got tapped onto it and we were trying to still make the podcast work. I was running around all over the venue, trying to connect and figure out where I could connect from, but it didn't work out. But so it's just funny that like that ended up being like, again, not no night of tour was bad at like a, in a legitimate sense like in in every way the tour is amazing but that was like every band agreed that was like the oh that was like the fucked up one the show was awesome but logistically everything around it was like cartoonish and like hilarious but you know i'm ha- I'm happy to start on <laughs> a- any other tip <laughs> if you'd prefer but there's a lot of funny stories from that night in particular it- it's just funny that we also had our own set of funny stuff that day too what is some of the stuff that happened? Pull back the curtain and reveal some of the logistical challenges. So we knew the we knew that it was going to be a weird night when I, I mean, mind you, just a little preface. This is Knocked Loose's, uh, you know, a tear of the fabric of life headlining tour. It's the biggest headlining tour they've ever done. All the venues scaled in capacity from about like a thousand to three thousand cap. Every show sold out. So it's it's a pretty legit tour. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't rinky dink venues. It was like pretty upscale. Tucson, Arizona. I, I can't even remember the name of the place, but uh, whatever venue we were at, we knew things were a little weird from the start when we go in, like you get there early, usually suss out where the green room is, drop your bag, kind of get settled. I did exactly that. And pretty much everyone on the tour did exactly that. We got in there and we walk into this back room and inside it's beautifully furnished. It looks like any other green room, at any other venue, you know, it has mini fridges, microwaves, couches, like central air, super clean we were like oh wow this is super nice but weirdly enough entirely van halen themed and then <laughs> we uh, so- someone from the venue ended up yelling at people from the tour package for going in there because that room which would make uh, at face value you would assume this is the green room and it would make a lot of sense that it would be uh is used specifically for like classic rock tribute nights where they basically you could pay for like a VIP ticket where you get to go into this back lounge green room or what you'd figure would be a green room area that's Van Halen themed. And apparently <laughs> like dancers will be in there and girls will serve you drinks, topless of bottle service. It's like the 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 80s rock dream room, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> now, was this option available to you and the other bands if you wanted it? It was not. It's only for uh, I assume either Zebra playing there or a Zebra tribute night, something to that effect. And <laughs> that kind of set the tone for the night because the guy who either runs the place or like I don't know what his position is there. He like he gave a pretty genuine attitude to the entire package for getting settled in there. And what we proceeded to find out was that the place is uh falling apart at the seams pretty much. Uh 
the sad, <laughs> like this is grim. Like I'm only laughing because it's just a testament to how insane this night was. <laughs> uh, like halfway through the show, we found out that the lighting guy was like shooting up in the van that he lives in outside of the venue. Oh, that's so rock and roll. I love it, dude. Like the, the sound guy was literally outside during like the band sets. And like, that's like normal at like a hardcore show or something, but like this is a like legitimate production. And like there were like sound issues going on on stage. We play our set. Literally every single mic fell off our, our drummer Sal's drum kit, like one by one as the set goes on, which is like just hilarious because like no one like ran up there and fixed it. So it's just like this, like, you know, get 30 seconds further into a song. Another mic pops off. Like there's feedback left and right everywhere. At what there's fog machines going the entire time, which is like you know kind of funny, and I I didn't even realize this, but it was 4:20. I didn't even think about this, uh, and, <laughs> and I don't even smoke, but like I remember on stage, I was like just being funny because I realized the set was awesome, like our reaction was great and the crowd was awesome, but like I realized that the show was kind of taking a turn for like a funny and weird, so like kind of playing along to that on stage, I was like. Yo, more fog. Smoke this motherfucker out. And I, I swear <laughs> to God, I don't know if there's a setting for it or, or like the doped out guy literally just like left his thumb on the button for the next 15 minutes, but fog did not stop for the rest of the set. So the entire room was a smoky haze by the time we were done because the fog machines literally were using all of the juice that was in there. There was not a point where it stopped. I swear to God, every second we continued playing, fog was coming out of one of these fog machines. And our, it sounds amazing. Dude, it was crazy. And our drummer, Sal, inhaled a fuck out of it, got off stage, and immediately puked his fucking brains out in the parking lot. <laughs> it was just, it was turmoil. It was, ca- oh, so our guitar player, Harold, he has like a, a strobe sensitivity, like we're, we're not, he doesn't have an official diagnosis, but we'll, we'll summarize it as like a epileptic esque uh, situation. So he can't do strobe lights. And we, yeah. told, I, I mean, the lighting guy was on heroin. So, you know, it doesn't matter that we told him cause he's not going to remember, but yeah, a, a two or three times during the set, he starts, he starts strobing and we go, no strobes, no strobes on stage while we're playing. And uh, during the last song, we say no strobes. And he just accidentally blacks out the entire room. <laughs> so we're playing in pitch black for like 30 seconds. And that's pretty much it for our set. And then a couple of cliff notes as the night went on. Uh, Kublai Khan, the security guards were, there weren't a lot of security guards in there. The two like security guards that they had up at the barricade. Uh, this is a sold out, you know, 1400 cap room. The two yeah. security guards they have at the barricade are like turned around watching Kublai Khan, like looking at them. So kids are coming over the barricade and like getting fucked up because they're landing on the ground. And then that only got worse during movements. Like I, I they were, they ended up being okay, but I'm pretty sure one person like passed out from the heat as they were like crowd surfing and then got dropped on their head because there weren't enough guards and the guards weren't like doing what they were supposed to do anyways for something like that. It was, it was just like a mess of a show and it was, you know, like all this is unfolding and we're outside talking about it. Cause we're like, yo, this is just fucked. And like, it's not, it's like so clearly like not going to get better. Like it's only getting worse. Like the, you know, the, the venue staff is crazy and checked out and this, this and that. And then, you know, you have people coming out of the venue in like, you know, like you hear like a, a scream and crying and you like, see like, 
one person who works there and really like members of the tour package like walking someone out after they got dropped by security it's like (laughs) it's just absolute chaos they didn't sound like they were ready for this at all i mean this tour package is it's a major package and knocked loose is just nuts yeah that's what i'm saying it was so it was not ready for what this is at all in any sense excluding capacity and in general, like, can't stress enough, the tour was fucking amazing. It's it's no testament to, this is entirely, like, the venue's fault and the venue side of things, even down to, like, like, you can't predict that all these things are going to happen going into it, obviously. But, like, right. it, it, it was just, like, such a wild night. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, like, you cycle back to the fact that we were having all of our issues to begin with, even just recording the podcast. It's one of those days where kind of, like, everything goes wrong in all the right ways, you know? <laughs> like yeah but i mean you everyone played and we pulled the show off right yeah oh and every set was amazing that was like the the that's why it's like more of like a funny thing than a negative thing like no one was really i mean like someone like the like the tour manager was mad and like members of like our production team as like a whole package were mad but like no one was like that show sucked because like the crowd was awesome and everyone that was there for the show was awesome that's amazing yeah Yeah. like there's sometimes like that's the best feeling when all this stuff goes wrong and you can still pull it off. Like there's podcast episodes where I spend hours working through technical issues and then we finally nail the conversation and you're done. And it's like, yes, we did it. Yeah. It's the same exact vibe. It was like, we got through the whole night and everyone's like, wow, that show was, the show was awesome. The, the, the skeleton, like the frame of what facilitated it was, you know, hilariously (laughs) fucked, (laughs) but did anyone shoot up with the lighting guy? Nah, no one was down to play ball. Honestly, uh, I, this is rock and roll, man. Come on. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, apparently, now, if you have kids, if you're listening, I'm just kidding. Drugs are bad. <laughs> Dr- drugs are bad. Drugs are yeah. bad. I abstain myself, but you know. Yeah, same here. If you happen to live in Tucson, Arizona and want to work at a classic rock themed venue and fuck with drugs, the option is there. <laughs> you know, it's all. Yeah, like that's where my mind goes. I, I'm a former drug taker, but so, like, in my mind, I'm like living in a van doing lights for a venue and shooting up that sounds pretty awesome yeah if if this was like 1984 you are in theory living the dream <laughs> on paper you're living the fucking dream i love it wow so so the tour is done now i mean how do you feel this is this is a major tour you've done this tour with knocked loose and movements and kubla khan you've done a tour with anxious you've done a tour with vain i mean my head would be spinning if i was you i mean i am so appreciative for uh you know what really is like the last i guess we're looking at what like maybe like nine months since we started being able to play shows like i'm very grateful in general the knock tour particularly was obviously like uh really like a dream tour like it literally like for people who like aren't familiar with like i guess like the ins and outs of like the like greater it calling this calling it this is kind of corny but like it's the best way to frame it like the culture of like touring at a hierarchical level support tours when you're the first of four can really fucking suck sometimes and that doesn't mean that bands doing it don't appreciate it because of course you appreciate it but when you're the first of four or the first of five on like a big support tour you're pretty much there in the hopes that the exposure will make your band a little bigger you're probably getting paid less because literally like the the fact that you're getting all this exposure is leveraged against what you get paid you know you load in before you play you load out right after you play and on top of that, sometimes the vibe like is just bad. You know, you don't get a green room. Everyone else gets a green room. You're last in the totem pole to shower. You maybe the headlining band is being a dick to you for one reason or another. These are all like 
common stories in the world of people that tour. It's like, oh, I did this tour with this band. We played to like, you know, they made us play 30 minutes after door, blah, blah, blah. But I set all of that preface up to say that this tour was nothing like any of that. It was the dream, like support tour, like all the bands, we hit it off great with them. They were all great to us. Knocked treated us very fucking well. Their production treated us very fucking well. Everyone was friends. Everyone had a good fucking time. Like green rooms were shared. Rider food was shared. We played an hour after doors every day. Main dressing room showers were shared. Every single thing that sucks about doing a tour like that in the world of all that shit, we did not experience any of it. Like we were treated like fucking gold on this tour. And I, I will, you know, for the every time I have a platform to speak about how like this tour and what it was for us, like I will make a point in saying that like Knock Loose knows how to fucking take care of like. Not only like a band they're taken out, but like take care of their friends. They really held it down for us, for real. I love to hear that because Knocked Loose is huge. They're like one of the leaders in the scene right now. So they could conceivably be dicks if they wanted to, but I'm so happy to hear that everyone was cool. And yeah, it's I just like when people are cool. You know what I'm saying? Like I've seen weird stuff on tour where it's like the band won't talk to you or sometimes the headliner won't even mention the opening bands on the tour. It's like weird, stupid, petty stuff. I don't like that. No, I, I don't like it either. And I've experienced some of it tangentially because like before Koyo, you know, I also like toured with bands, TMing and doing merch and stuff. So I've, I've seen it firsthand. Like I'm not going to, you know, bring anyone up or name any names. Cause that's just silly. Like I'm not, it's not, right. it's not stuff that keeps me up at night, but you know, I've seen the other side of it. I've done support tours that fucking suck. So not really, they treated us right. And, we made very good friends with Kublai Khan and movements respectively and all, you know, everyone hung out basically every off day. Like, you know, the vibes were just fucking up in every sense. Like I, I, I'm going to miss this tour forever because like, I think everyone universally agreed, like touring in general is awesome. There's a lot of incredible tours you will do in your lifetime. That was like, that was top tier. That's one of like the greats forever. Like I will look back on that tour, whether we're a band in a year or a band in 20, like, that will always be like a green check mark is like that one was incredible. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, the this is the time to do it. And those are the memories that last forever. I did two tours with a friend's band when I was 20 and 21. And I still look very fondly back on those days. And I'm glad that I got to do it. I'm glad for you because, yo, it's a beautiful thing. I was literally I was on the phone with a, a friend of mine earlier and we were talking about, you know, he, he's someone I had toured with, you know, when I was younger and, you know, like. You know, now works with the band. He manages Koyo and like basically full context of the conversation. We were just talking about how crazy life is and how crazy it is that all of our our friends and peers and other bands are all doing such cool shit because, you know, we look back on tours we all did together for no money, solely for fun, like for no anything, like literally just for in the interest of like touring, you know, and we look at where everyone's at now and it's it's uh it's really cool shit to look back on because at the end of the day, like everyone got the ball rolling on their lives by just saying yes. No one needed any convincing to do this tour or that tour or like to take risks in their life. Like we all just kind of had this open door policy of like, yo, if if so-and-so wants me to road dog for them, the answer is yes. If so-and-so wants to take this band, like my hardcore band out on tour, the answer is yes. Like it's like, that was like the, what started all of our lives is like, I look at all my friends and all of our bands and like, we're just a whole world of people that were down to just say yes and just do it. And I'm grateful that we did because I look back on all those times and everything that led us up to where we're at now, like really, really fondly. I love that. Yeah, that's the thing. You do this stuff 
because you love it and that's what everybody's doing and it's just an organic thing that you do. You build these relationships, you get better at your craft, and uh, eventually we get to where we are right now. 100%. It's, it's uh, Organic is the key word because, you know, I think some people, uh, not that this is necessarily the wrong thing, but, you know, sometimes people try and force these things and, you know, skip a couple tiers and, like, I take a lot of pride in the fact that, like, literally everyone who I stand shoulder to shoulder with, all our contemporaries, again, all my friends, bands, and people that I associate myself with, every, everyone, you know, worked their way up from the ground up. Everyone spent years, you know, just doing it because they love it, doing it for fun, taking, like, insurmountable, like, financial L's, all because we just love doing what we do and love playing shows and hanging out and shit. It's cool. You have to love it. If you just love it and you just want to do it, that's what keeps you doing it. You know, like when I've entered into band situations and I'm like, okay, we're going to get signed by X time and then we're going to be touring by X time and then uh, we'll be here. That never works out. No, very, very rarely does it. And I think uh, I think friendship and organic like building blocks in like a, a band dynamic really that's you look at like most scenarios and a lot of the time that's. That's the type of stuff that gets over. It's just genuine, organic, homegrown stuff in the right company uh, with the right intentions, you know? Yes. So it has to be exciting out playing gigs again now, you know, especially since we weren't able to do that for a couple years. Talk about the formation of Koyo. When did it happen? How did it happen? So Koyo started uh, summer of 2019. Uh, we were all playing in various other bands uh at the time slash touring with other bands um just to name a few you know without assigning everyone's various roles in each but like typecast hangman adrenaline sea space cowboy um i would road dog for vain as well we all kind of had were in different hardcore bands prior but we all started going to shows together so we pretty much started koyo on the foundation of like we need a band that we can all do together when we're home because we all started doing this together we all made other friends many of which were mutual and all went on to tour separate from one another but we all come home to the same town and the same neighborhood and hang out and it's like weird that we all do the same things with like different people so we we decided we all need like a home base band to play when we're home and koyo started on that, we started writing the first EP and stuff. Me and TJ started writing uh, that that fall and that early summer, rather, 2019. And we played our first show January 2020 with no uh, no music out. And it was awesome. And we were poised to play our second show when me, Sal, Marazzo, and TJ all got back from a full U.S. tour we were doing at the time with our other bands. It was Sanctions headlining tour. And then COVID happened. Oh, uh, yes. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I, I was out with Typecast on that, and so was Marazzo. Sal was playing drums for Sea Space Cowboy at the time. TJ was in Adrenaline, and we were all out on the same tour, and we're like, yo, we're going to get home. We literally dropped the first Koyo EP last week of that tour, right before everything shut down, and we were like, we're going to get home and play our second show, and the world shut down, and like everyone else, you know, our tour got canned early. We all went home, and Q, like a couple months of kind of doing nothing letting people sit with the EP and sit with how they felt about it. You know, some people got kind of attached to attached to it during quarantine because the timing worked out well where there wasn't much to do. And it came out at a time where people still thought they could go to shows soon and that this would blow over super quick. So they're like listening to it obsessively expecting to see Koyo in a month or something. And, you know, we didn't play for a year and change. 
but uh but that that's also really like it's part of the formation story because the agenda of the band totally changed from yo this is like a for fun thing when we're home and it is still for fun obviously but like we we plan on playing once every three months if not less um but we we all kind of like saw eye to eye during like the peak quarantine era where we were like yo like some people seem to like this we love this we love playing in a band together if there's ever an opportunity where touring comes back if this all you know goes away because at the time it felt like it never would we were like we will make good on it we will tour we will play out like let's full send this for a second like we're still young enough where we can throw some fucking caution to the wind take a crack at it and you know that's that's pretty much the the story of the early days with it i love that so once you decide you're going to take it more seriously and really go for it what do you do uh, at the time we were amidst writing uh, kind of a hodgepodge of everything we were writing drives out east at the time which uh was like the ep that we put out on triple b that kind of really got the ball rolling for us but we were also writing at the time we thought we were writing for an lp so songs like straight north which we j- we just put out on pure noise uh like that song was written in that same time period it was written a little before drives out east we were just like practicing and writing all the time we were just like nose to the grindstone like None of us had jobs at the time. Like none of us had any real commitments otherwise. And also we were like a pretty COVID careful group. Like we really were like, we were super reclusive, like didn't really see other people a lot. We were very much kind of like in the lab, just working on coil stuff the entire time. So all, all we did was nose to the grindstone, get ready to roll out drives out East and then dropped it the following summer, you know, recorded it, got it mixed, like did all the like, final touches of both in terms of like marketing it rolling it out whatever whatever like made sure that at the time it was perceived internally as perfect because you know hindsight like there's you'll nitpick anything like it'll be perfect to you at one point and then you know you'll look back at it and there'll be things you would have changed but at the time we got it to a point of near in our eyes near perfection dropped it and then pretty much the rest came rolling right after like in terms of like the the knock tour we got offered another tour that's getting announced soon our working with our uh our agent brad like all those things that i guess are a little more leveled up if you would like that all came following dropping out drives out east and or dropping drives out east rather and you know that was that was kind of like the the big pivot for us i'd say yeah that's interesting that everybody's like doing these separate things and and moving in different directions but you agreed that you were going to work on a project at home together. I love that because I, I think like, oh, like, I wish that I could do this with my friends, but everybody's always so busy, but you guys made the time. Yeah. No. Well, the thing is like we were given the time by, you know, for better or worse, the the, the situation with the pandemic. And that was an, uh, that previous com- uh, conversation I referenced before about like that I was having earlier about being down to say yes and like the early days of touring and stuff like that. Like, you know, we also talked about how like, time and place and circumstance like just make moments for various things in life not just bands but like all things in life like sometimes like you're just dealt certain circumstances bad ones at that and it produces positive things and you know obviously the pandemic was a terrible thing and like i'm not downplaying it by any means but for us like hindsight 2020 looking back at the last two years like the the pandemic gave us an opportunity to sit down when we were all like pretty well into our young adult life with other obligations those obligations became null and void and we had a window to just hard focus in on just doing this yeah that's crazy if you think about it it's almost fate like you were handed this time to work on this music and now 
you're putting out this great music and you're on these incredible tours. Yeah, no, straight up. It is. It felt like a, a almost faded thing. And I appreciate that because, you know, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. It's great. Yeah. You know, I t- early just again earlier today, I was listening to Straight North that folks, that's the latest single from Koyo. And I absolutely love what you guys are doing. I can't wait to hear more. J- I just really love that melodic emo-tinged, post-hardcore type sound. It's like right up my alley. Thank you. And you know, that's that's all of our respective... I mean, we all have varied taste and varied things, but like that's all of our bread and butter. Like, this band started in an effort to you know, kind of pay homage to like all that stuff that uh, on a similar tip that we liked growing up, you know? Yeah, what are some of yours? Give me some bands. Um, Some top, like, from that era, like so Saw Majority is like my like number one like Long Island hardcore band ever. And they're kind of like all the bands I'm going to follow with favorite bands. So I kind of have to put respect on it. But Saw Majority, Taking Back Sunday, Glassjaw, The Movie Life, Thursday, like all bands from that era that like I love and have kind of known my entire life. I mean, I loved like Taking Back Sunday, Brand New Glassjaw growing up. And like stuff like Thursday, like I liked like at face value. Same same with like the movie life I got more into when I was a teenager. And like Thursday, I ended up doing a tour with when I was uh rolling with Vane and I got to see them play full collapse and wore all the time every night, like or they did like each album each night, and that got me even more obsessed with it because that got me like that got me into like the deep cuts, like I only knew the hits and like now, you know, I fucking swear by Thursday, I think they're one of the illest bands ever. Yeah, I love that. I was uh, I was actually on a tour with them in 2003. I was out with This Day Forward, and it was also Every Time I Die and Thursday, right when War All the Time came out. It was a, an amazing time. That's awesome. That's a, that's a prime tour, and also obviously a sick fucking lineup too. Oh god, yeah. But um, yeah, that that's like kind of like my bread and butter with it, and TJ's kind of the same deal. And I think everyone kind of likes that early 2000s like post hardcore tip in all ways like we we all love newfound glory too like that's another like universal like the whole band likes that band type scenario and you know there's there's obviously tons of other outside influences that work their way in but those are like the universal like if there's like a broad reference point for what we're going for it's like post hardcore of the early 2000s i love it that's that's what i grew up with yeah and that's all you know it's like for me like all those bands were put on my radar after they more or less succeeded, you know, like, cause I'm, I'm 25 and I got into like taking back Sunday when I was 12. But when I was 12, taking back Sunday was already post louder now, you know? So it's like, for me, it's like, I got into all that in the, I guess, post blow up era. Like they had blown up, you know, I, I never got to see any of them on smaller, more scaled down terms. Yeah, in 2000 through like 2004, there was just insane. It was like blowing up in the mainstream. Like we thought Thursday was going to go mainstream. We thought Taking Back Sunday was going to go mainstream. And they did. I mean, they did to a degree, but it was just like, it was an explosive time for this music. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, you have like scenarios where bands like that were, you know, making records that went gold and stuff, which, you know, like that's that says a lot about the where at least time and place in, in that era, like how how explosive it was for those bands at that time because you know all in all like mainstream success or not like that that is music that is derived from like it's rooted in the hardcore scene it comes from a very underground place and seeing what some of those bands did whether they necessarily rep for 
underground music or not at this point is arbitrary because we're talking, you know, 20 plus years ago, but like seeing where they went and how fast they did is pretty amazing to look at in retrospect, you know? A hundred percent. So how did you get turned on to this music and what were some of your uh, early show going experiences? Um, I was put on to the whole broader world of, you know, alternative music via Harold, our guitar player, um, because his sister used to basically all the bands we were just talking about his sister went to those shows at that time. So like, I'd say like taking back Sunday puts out, tell all your friends blows up, but they're still like blowing up. If you would, she's going to see them in 500 cap rooms. So she's like part of the wave that blew them up. Like those are the shows that she's going to, but she wasn't like a hardcore kid per se. Um, but, but she's going to, she's going to see like taking back Sunday. She's going to see Thursday. She's going to see brand new. She's going to see movie life, et cetera, et cetera. And she has all these CDs. She passes them off to Harold and Harold. When I met him, I met Harold my first day of middle school in seventh grade. And me and Spanos, our bass player, the two of us were very adamant about like, we were like very into classic rock. We wanted to start a band. We were like, got into like music, like kind of really off like guitar hero because uh, like him and I like both grew up, you know, I mean, we're all, we still play games a lot. Like we grew up like gaming together and, uh, got into music together and Guitar Hero was like a pretty big thing at that time for both of those things because it kind of unified both those ideas. Um, and it made me start taking guitar lessons, made him start taking bass lessons. So we were very adamant about like, yo, we want to start a band. We need to find more people at school who like music. I met Harold because I saw him playing guitar in like a practice room at like our middle school. And he pretty much instantly was like, yo, classic rock is cool, but it's also pretty whack. Like, Here's all the, here's all the stuff that I like and showed me like the aforementioned basically all the bands we've been talking about. But he also showed me like kind of like the more like warp Tory, like post hardcore slash metalcore stuff like Chiodos, Devil Wears Prada, kind of like the post metalcore metalcore, if you would, uh, of like the mid to late 2000s. So we were kind of into that, too. You're like Devil Wears Prada, Day to Remember, Chiodos, that whole mix. So I, I'd say like a hodgepodge of early 2000s emo and that was kind of like our early formative stuff uh and then come high school as well as some like mixed like more contemporary pop punk stuff i'd say too like you know i, I remember seventh grade like loving four year strong and stuff like that and then fast forward to about the turn of like high school i'd say like ninth grade we start uh no eighth grade actually eighth grade we like went to our first warp tour which was 2010 and like we're kind of like we're not really going to proper shows yet, but we're going to like stuff you'd frame more as like honestly like concerts if you would, you know. Like we're going to yeah. see big. My parents are taking us to the Paramount on Long Island to see Taking Back Sunday. Like out I, I, in seventh grade, actually, I remember my dad took Harold and I's parents took us and a bunch of our friends to Jones Beach Amphitheater to see Blink One Eighty Two's reunion tour, Weezer Taking Back Sunday on a tour. And that was like, I think that might have been like the third live music event I'd ever been to in my life. That's a good tour. Was this original Blink? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So that was their wow. f- first tour back is like original Blink. And, you know, at, they played uh, a lot of dope shit. Like they played Not Now, which, you know, I, that's like a, a B-side of theirs that, you know, was on Greatest Hits that I, I think they didn't get to play before the band broke up, really, and stuff like that. And then between all that, like we, we got together with our little high school or rather our middle school band that we, we had a bunch of middle school bands that are all kind of the same band with like slightly different lineups, but we would play shows at our middle school and they'd be kind of funny mix bills where it's like you have us playing 
classic rock covers and like literally like one you know like a quote-unquote original and then original would be like a weird metal basically like a rip-off metalcore song of a chiodo song and then you'd have like local bands covering basically like wannabe pantera local band metal stuff and then you the weird part about our middle school is like there were just a lot of hardcore kids that went to our high school so like at our middle school at these benefit shows local hardcore bands would play um like at legitimate hardcore bands and i didn't understand hardcore music as a subculture at that point nor did i was I able to differentiate between what i was doing or what any of them were doing so to me it was just another band or two playing the local show but that's also kind of a funny footnote looking back is like you know there was like hardcore bands playing and moshing but it didn't like it wasn't that wasn't like my like eureka moment of like oh i'm gonna start going to hardcore shows i just it's like oh more local bands playing at our cafeteria in seventh grade you know like yeah the first time the first hardcore show i saw i i didn't hate it but i wasn't like this is it for me it took a little bit yeah i i think because the setting was so mixed i didn't even like understand what i was seeing like it, it could have been you could call it anything to me like could have called it metal, could have called it hardcore. Like end of the day, it was just bands. Yeah. But that's kind of backtracking a little bit. I guess more like early high school, we finally, Harold and myself kind of had like our first crack at doing a band and it was kind of like a shitty little metalcore band. And that's when I played like my first local shows, like, you know, like sell 30 tickets for some scumbag and, you know, <laughs> open this show. Um, and we did that for a little while. And then I'd, say 10th so that was like not we had like one year of going to like everything like ninth grade was like our ninth grade into the fall 10th grade was our go to everything year we're like i'm just gonna go to all shows of all kinds so we're going to like pop punk shows on long island we're going to metalcore shows on long island we're going to like mosh metal like fringe hardcore shows like some like really funny mixed bills and then uh like very like post like like post deathcore mosh metal shit like very like byproducts of bands like on broken wings and recon, but like not nearly as good as the actual thing at like a local band level. And then finally that like fall of 10th grade, we were like 15 turning 16. Uh, we started going to like more proper, like long Island shows, seeing like incendiary and backtrack and King nine and stuff. And that was pretty much game over. I, I had no interest in seeing anything but that for the next couple of years. Like I, I stopped going to like, the pop punk shows on Long Island stopped going to the metalcore show that I was pretty much like ha- had my eureka moment was like full send hardcore kid from there on out. Yeah, that's awesome. It's I'm always interested in where people came in and kind of what influenced them and the bands that were around at the time because I'm I'm older than you. So I, it's just interesting for me to hear someone else's experience. For sure. We, we were very much like the uh, post Reaper Records era of kids, you know, like when we were like teenagers. So it was like you know, your average shows were seeing like the aforementioned incendiaries, King Nine, Suburban Scum, Rude Awakening, Backtrack, that whole era of bands was like very much what was playing on Long Island all the time. Like Fire and Ice, Naysayer, TUI was just breaking up, you know, stuff like that. Or, well, you know, taking their hiatus if, or whatnot. Turnstile was, you know, still up and coming and TUI was switching off to give Turnstile and Angel Dust room to grow. Like that was kind of the whole, that was, sophomore junior senior year of high school for me was like watching that era both grow slash turnover i'd say the 20 late 2008 to like 2010 hardcore era of bands watching them grow peak and either break up or reach astronomical new heights i.e 
incendiary and backtrack like you know totally ran it for long island and fucking killed it for quite a long time which is awesome incendiary i love them they're they're, they to this day whenever i listen to it i just get so pumped yeah i mean that dude like uh crusade their first lp was like i i cite that as the record that got me into hardcore i'd say that was like that and this other local band at the time called bottom out um were like my two like yo i have to see this for yeah like the real the real like you know on my like high school ipod like constantly on repeat like know every word know every breakdown like i was like obsessed and that that's what actually finally got me out to a a proper show i remember like it was also before i was driving too so like there were a couple shows i wanted to go to that i missed that like if i can go in a time capsule i'd love to have been at like uh like tui like ethical like fall 2012 i missed it was like tui and like in king nine that would have been dope. Um, How'd you get around? Because Long Island, you kind of need a car, right? You do need a car. And my parents were down to drive places for me. But like, an example, like a lot of the shows were at that place I was just talking about in Garden City. And Garden City is like an hour and change from me. So like, you know, like there's a, again, I was kind of going to everything. So I just wanted to literally go to everything. And my parents would basically be like, yo, it's a fucking, it's a Wednesday night. You want to go to a show, go to a show, but I'm not driving you to garden city but it would create this rock and a hard place scenario because they'd also be like also you can't go with your friends like they're too young to like <laughs> you know like your friend driving i don't feel comfortable with them like they're 17 they just got their license blah 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 so like i had to do a little bit of sneaking around i, I was i was never like the super super rebellious kid like i, I would but you know i'd i'd get off work and tell my parents i'm going to hang out so and so's house and get a ride to a show in Sayville, which is maybe like 20 minutes from me. Like I, I was very reliant on like proximity because that would either let me, if a show was close enough, my parents would take me like, I'd say within 20 to 30 minutes, I could get a ride. If they could drive me to a train station, they would sometimes like that would also be a compromise, but a decent amount of the time, like by until I was old enough to drive ages 15 to 17, I was going to shows without being able to drive. We'll say, so like for about two years, I was reliant on like kind of both asking favors and fibbing here and there and basically just being like, hey, like, you know, I'm, I got work, you know, I'd leave the house in my work uniform and, you know, get dropped off wherever and, you know, get picked up at said job and go to the show that same night. And or even I get dropped off at shows by my parents and tell them that like so-and-so's mom and dad picked me up. It would just be somebody else, like a friend would drive me home. So Yeah, I would lie and we would drive down to West Philly to almost get killed at some show in an abandoned house. It was great. I loved it. Exactly. That that was that was the spirit of it all. And, you know, like, I feel like in general, I'm just part of this, like, I'm part of like the last ones out, like going into this modern age, like the iPhone era we're in, like. I, li- I lived everything. I lived households with no kids having cell phones into like, like call the house phone era, like the old way into like people getting their first cell phones into people getting their first smartphones into people getting their first iPhones. Like I'm like the perfect age where I literally watched both like technology turnover and society turnover in a lot of ways. So like by the time I was a teenager, like it was a little harder to lie to my parents just because like end of the day, like, you know, like if, if they really wanted to, like my parents could have been like, there, there was no FaceTime yet, but like my parents could have been like, Oh, like so-and-so's mom's driving you home. Call her like, you know, like put her on the phone, you know? And like that, thankfully they never really called my bluff like that, excluding a couple of minute scenarios. I can't remember the exact details of, but you know, like 
it, it was a, a slightly harder time to lie to my parents, but not, not hard enough that I didn't, you know? And also like <laughs> my parents are dope and have always been super supportive. So I didn't have to lie that much, but you know, I dabbled, I dabbled, did what I had to do to go to shows, you know? I mean, at least we weren't like running around getting fucked up and selling drugs, right? Yeah, like yeah. my, my sneaking around was going to hardcore shows. Bingo. Exactly. Same boat. It's like, I'm, I'm getting a ride from my friend who you don't like is, you know, my age and driving or maybe a little older and driving. You're like, Oh, they don't have like driving experience, whatever, whatever. But like end of the day, we're both sober. And the worst thing we're doing is getting fast food to like 1am after the show. And I'm getting dropped off. You know, I lived a pretty, my friends and I were pretty rambunctious in high school in the sense of like, we liked doing like, you know, very entry level vandalism. We like doing like funny shit, like driving into people's trash cans with our cars and stuff. Like, <laughs> but like we, we were a generally like sober, you know, not getting into trouble group of kids. Like we, 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 we just were, we're pretty tame in the grand scheme of things, you know? I don't know why that's so funny. Just driving into people's trash cans. Oh, we loved it. Straight up, you'd get in your car, you'd like slam on the gas, drive up to about 40 miles an hour, and just truck through someone's trash can on garbage night and watch it all go flying. It was classic. We uh, we used to terrorize various neighborhoods with paintball guns. We all Ooh. purchased paintball guns and... We like there was this one random guy in an apartment building we saw watching TV and we we would drive by an egg and shoot his house for like years. Dude, that's awesome. Like literal years. And then there was like like someone would be like, oh, I don't like this guy. So we'd go and like paintball his house or something. It, it, we were kind of terrorizing that neighborhood now that I think about it. See, see, we do things kind of like that, except like the problem. <laughs> or I don't even want to call it the problem, but like. The funny thing was, is like our sense of humor was like not, oh, let's go vandalize the person we don't like's house. It's, yo, it'd be so funny if we did X to this person because it'd be like random as fuck. Like there, <laughs> we have no reason to be doing that to so-and-so. It's like so like ridiculous. We don't even like know that person like really at all. So it's, it's funny if we do insert vandalism here, you know, but like it, all in all, we were like pretty tame. Like we were very much like, uh. You know, we, we, we didn't get into too much trouble in high school, you know, like we were just like it, we were very much like the, it could be way worse group. Like clearly I think people knew us as like a more weird or alt squad of like teenagers at like my greater friend group. But like, I don't think we were like, no one perceived us as like the bad kids, you know, cause we really weren't like, we were just kind of like doing our own thing. Yeah, no, same here. And I, I became uh, more of a bad kid later, but, you know, I got over yeah. that, so it's all good. Exactly. That's all I could ask for, you know? Getting over the bad kid era. Everyone's entitled to it, though. Yeah, it's it's just part of growing up. Straight up. So, Koyo is playing Furnace Fest this year, yes? Yes, we are. Now, that is exciting. Have you been down there yet? I have not, unfortunately. But funny enough, so part of our, like, origin story with touring and all that is that our first tour we did with Soulblind, about a two-week run, was being routed around playing a Furnace Fest after show that did not happen. At first, we were told we'd, we'd have a shot at potentially getting on one of the days of the fest, and then that got downgraded to an after show, and then that got downgraded to a kid from the area who has nothing to do with the fest will do like an unofficial after show, and then eventually the whole thing got canned. But the dude who runs Furnace Fest, who's you know, no disrespect. I just don't remember his name off the top of my head because I wasn't. I think it's Chad. Might have been. I wasn't the one talking to him at the time. Wh whoever James who works with us was talking to at the time about all of this was like, yo, like, just know I got them next year. I'll hold it down for them. And he was thankfully very true to his word and very appreciative to be on the fucking fest because like, you know, that's 
fucking amazing but also like in a weird way like it's cool that things worked out the way they did because the tour that we did that was routed originally around playing furnace fest like which didn't happen obviously like again we were just kind of we were kind of trying to force it for lack of a better way to put it we were like yo like we heard we might be able to do this so we booked an entire tour around it and then it didn't work out and instead of canning the tour we were like let's just go tour because like we haven't been able to do it in so fucking long it'd be stupid to cancel like the world's opening up like let's fucking play and the tour that we did ended up being amazing it was fucking awesome i love soul blind i love everyone in that band and the shows we played with them are so great and you know now here we are a year later and we're slated to actually play the proper fest on a dope day with story so far. And I'm really fucking excited about it. And just like extremely fucking grateful to be included in the fest because I mean, look at it, you know, like, like I sunny day real estate's fucking playing, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah. My friend was reading, like I'm going, this happens. I went last year. I went back in the day when it happened one year, I went last year and I'm going again this year. My friend was reading off, the whole lineup and it still doesn't sound real yeah it's it's literally <laughs> yo it is so crazy it like borders on like fan fiction it's incredible and for that re- and also like yo like that so much of like what that fest is in a lot of ways is like kind of what our band's identity is too where like we're like we very much are influenced by like what made up the fucking story of the past but we're also trying to push the dial forward and do our own thing so to be shoulder to shoulder with contemporary bands that we think are dope as well as like bands that fucking inspired us it's like it's the dream fest i can't think of a better scenario for us in terms of like attending a fest let alone playing it you know it's 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 an absolute honor you're spot on there because it's everybody and everything older bands newer bands just just everything yeah it literally everything in between as well like it's it's a uh, such a cool fucking space for it and we're, we have a tour at that time that I, I can't talk about. It's slated to be announced like at the end of this month. But with that accounted for, like the tour is routing us to Furnace Fest. And my only hope is that I don't think we'll be able to go for the whole weekend. But I hope we can, we play Sunday. I hope we get there in time Saturday. Like I hope Saturday is like an off day or something so we can just go. I want to see Sunny Day so fucking bad. Have you seen them before? No, never. And, and I love that band. Like that, that band is like, oh goaded so i really 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 hope we can be there saturday yeah that's the set i'm looking most forward to seeing because i did see sunny day real estate on their 2008 run but i used to be a real mess and i was so fucked up at the show i don't remember even one second of it dude that that obviously like sucks in is as like a memory it's like oh it's like a bummer that you don't remember but also like i kind of feel like the context that they're coming back in right now is like special and the right time and like seems very like a good vibe and not tumultuous at all so like i think the new memory of seeing it will will trounce whatever the old was i would like to think a hundred percent and i saw jeremy enyuk perform solo at last year's furnace fest and i cried actual tears no i i don't blame you they unbelievable music like undeniable i can't wait and i can't wait to see koyo because i haven't seen you guys yet i can't wait as well i i really like I'm psyched for you to see us. And honestly, I'm just psyched to see what that, uh, what that fest holds for us because, you know, we've done, we've done FYA, we've done LDB, we're doing Sound and Fury this summer. And those are very much like, you know, n- newer fest and newer bands and to be in kind of the mixed bag, both in terms of company and even demographic wise that like Furnace Fest is going to be, I'm curious to see what our crowd is going to be like. You know, like it will be a lot of younger people will be a mixed bag. Either way, I'm psyched to be doing it at all. 
Well, the good news is every stage I was at, there was a lot of people. So Se- seemed like it. Yeah, like all the videos and pictures I saw, like it seemed like no one. There were no bad sets. There were no duds. It just seemed flooded the entire time. Yeah, it's I I can't wait to go again. So you have a Koyo has a tour coming up, but we can't announce that yet. What about new music? What's coming up? So what I can say is we have another song called uh call it off that's coming out in june we haven't picked a day yet but we're 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 slated to put out in june like i wouldn't be shocked if it came out in july instead but it's it's done we recorded it in the same sessions we did 10 digits and uh straight north um it's a little i don't want to like mislead people it's it's a more stripped down like acoustic type song but it's not like it's not just my voice and a guitar for like the entire thing like not that that wouldn't be like a valid thing to put out per se but like it's like a, just a more stripped down version of the band intentionally we want to kind of do a softer track so that's coming out in in june or july and then we go and we we start re- i mean not even start we're we're recording our debut lp for pure noise records this july uh into august so we're doing a month with the same guy john markson who we did those singles with we're doing the lp with him and hopefully trying to get that out not this year but the following like spring like march april is our target hopefully i can't wait for that how far are we hard to put a metric on it because like we have a lot of demos a lot of like logic demos we have like four ish songs that we're like really psyched on that we could put out tomorrow and like would be like good to go and then we have like 15 plus song ideas of like skeletons and like you know stuff that needs to be developed in pre-pro so i think we have a lot on the table to pluck from and a lot of new ideas coming like by the day because we're like actively trying to write for it now but we're we're not at a clean slate for it like we definitely have a lot of ideas and a lot of progress but like we're not 75 percent done either there's still a lot of uh a lot of finalizing to do uh before going in there right plus you get into the studio you work with a producer new ideas pop up in the studio there's a there's a whole process to this thing exactly and and we're trying to keep a pretty open mind about that because we know we have a week of we're going to go in there and basically just demo out the record and focus in on the songwriting and really like pluck it all out in the process. So like we might come in there with a song that we think is finished and it might be far from by the time like we get done with pre-pro. It might it might end up a totally different track by the time we're done. But I'm, I'm excited for it because I just uh, that's something I really prior to doing those singles hadn't gotten to do in my life. Recording it always been a very like fragmented effort and like just getting to do like a week with John and like work out those singles was like a special thing. And I can only imagine how cool it's going to be focusing in for a month on this LP because you know, I, I it's dream shit. It's stuff I never thought I'd get to do in my life. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't wait to hear more. And I think this is an overall exciting time for music as well. There's a lot of new, interesting stuff out there. I love what Koyo is doing. I love what anxious is doing. I love what, one step closer is doing there's all these new exciting bands doing new exciting things it's it's a great time for music agreed and yo like the that's what's cool about it like being psyched on on your peers and psyched on what everyone around you is doing only wants to make you uh make better music you know like it it, like it's inspiring it like looking to our to our right and to our left and seeing bands like anxious an example as you as you mentioned killing it or you know, bands we've otherwise toured with, whether it be your soul blinds, your veins, your flesh waters, like seeing friends do more and more inspiring dope shit makes you want to do the best version of what you do in every way. Yeah, it seems like 
that's happening for you like it did when I came up in the scene. Like when I came up, Poison the Well was breaking and there was a the whole melodic metalcore thing was happening. Thursday exploded onto the scene. There was just like endless exciting things happening. For sure. And th- that's obviously a very fucking dope, inspiring period. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to not not get too lost in the sauce in the sense of like, you know, like sometimes like if you don't if you don't look around and see what's happening, you you risk missing it. You know, like I'm trying to like be psyched on every minute and every show and every opportunity we get to play every opportunity. I get to see music, see friends, bands play like like don't want to risk a second of uh feeling even like the slightest bit like two nose to the grindstone two of like two like forward thinking just, you know, got to finish this, got to do that, got to get to this tour. Like I'm really trying to like stop and smell the fucking roses because it's such a cool and special time for music in every way right now. Yeah, you have to. You said you're only what, 25? Oh yeah. Yeah, I didn't start getting tired of shit till this year and I'm 40 now. That's what I'm saying. Like I I yeah. I I'm trying to hold off on getting tired on anything as long as possible. And that includes touring and that includes playing shows like I I I refuse to uh I refuse to have bad days. I just won't let it into my life. I'm I'm trying to enjoy every second of life. I love that. That's good. That sounds healthy. How do you stay centered? What do you do? Do you do you struggle? Do you have to work through things like me? I I have all kinds of crazy anxiety and things that I need to work through, but I've got practices and people to talk to and and all kinds of things. What about you? I think in general, I mean, I'm I'm a fairly uh you know, I'm I'm as uh, unstable as the next guy, if you would. Like, I, I think I really go through uh, sweeping waves of feeling pretty fucked. I especially, I, I struggle a lot with seasonal depression. Like, yeah, I, I think most people from the Northeast do, frankly. But like, literally, the the seasons change, and I'm fucking, I'm dirt. I'm fucking absolute like mental trash. And I think the really the centering thing for me is uh, just having like a good fucking. I, I mean, like I'll. I'll go in and out of therapy as I need it in life or, you know, cause in general, it's a healthy thing. Like I have a great therapist who I, you know, reach out to when I need it. And I'll, I'll get on a, I'll get on a wave with her for a little while and work through harder times or harder scenarios in my life. And, you know, in moments where things are more stable, like right now, frankly, I feel, I feel great. I'm in a, a really good place in general and I'm centered in large just by, uh, you know, having good fucking friends and supportive family in my life and really, uh, taking advantage of the fact that those people are there and around me. Like I try and spend meaningful time with my friends. I try and spend meaningful time with my family. I try and spend meaningful time doing nothing, you know, like that's on it. Like doing less in a lot of ways is a therapeutic thing. Like sitting at my fucking computer and fucking off and like playing an MMORPG for a couple of hours, you know, as I, you know, more or less like killing a Tuesday night, like objectively doing nothing, like objectively wasting time. Like, Sometimes that shit's really fucking therapeutic, and I, I think it helps center my life a lot, especially as things get uh, harder and more stressful and, you know, things that come with age and time and all things life. Yeah. No, big time. I make time for everything. The podcast takes up a ton of time, and I've got a nine-to-five job, but I've got designated days for gaming and various other things. What MMORPG are you playing? Uh, right. So I've I've really played the whole lottery of it all. Like, I'm a... I'm an MMO head through and through. I've been playing them since I was very, very young. But uh, currently, I'm back on Classic WoW, playing through Burning Crusade, revisiting my my childhood. But uh, I was I was big into Final Fantasy 14 during the quarantine. I capped on Elder Scrolls Online, played a little retail WoW. Um, I played New World before it flopped. Like I really any opportunity I have to like 
zone in on an MMO, I, I, I will. And, you know, I'm a casual. I, I have no accolades. I never, never rated too hardcore. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a scrub next to many of my friends and many of my peers, but you know, me too. I never got to be part of a big raid. I would like to do that one day. I play uh EverQuest. Oh, dope. I, I, uh, my first MMO ever was EverQuest two, which is kind of like the, it, what could have been because wow came out the same month that EverQuest came out. Yeah. Once world of Warcraft came out, EverQuest was done. Yeah. But EverQuest is like the blueprint for like what made the modern MMO, you know, it's an incredible, incredible game. And, I've always hoped that a spiritual successor would come along that I could take a crack at and like, you know, that's kind of founded on the same more hardcore and, you know, non-player convenience friendly ethics of like EverQuest and the games that era. I played Dark Age of Camelot a lot in middle school and that that game was, you know, at that point even already kind of like on the uh, on the downswing just because it was getting old. But, you know, I had a great time playing it. I've I've really tried the lot of them all. And then ages like. 14 to like 20 i'd say i was raiding a lot mainly on wow like on and off through the years but i never got too hardcore with it you know i was mostly clearing normals and heroics but you know me and all my friends were like wow lifers and i had a guild for a while like all stuff i was kind of doing in between college and playing shows and stuff i love that yeah i played from like 18 to 20 but then i discovered like girls and drugs and just trouble and all that stuff but you know, once I cycled back around and just started living a more serene life, I yeah. played EverQuest again for the first time in 20 years. And going like going back to the original spots where I leveled my character and seeing some of these places again for the first time in 20 years, it was like such an emotional experience. It was unbelievable. No, I'm, I'm sure. And EverQuest especially, like the beautiful thing about it is it still has a community. Like yeah. it's it's one of the oldest MMOs still functioning and like people are diehard with it. People are really lifers. I mean, people met their fucking people met their wives on that game and shit, you know? Like it was like a a such a, a cultural moment in the same way that WoW was as it followed. Um and I was more on the WoW tip just because it was a little more centered to my the age that I picked it up, but it was think it was more forgiving too. Like EverQuest was just like, fuck you. I don't care. Like WoW was way more forgiving by contrast. If you died in EverQuest, you had to go all the way back to the zone and loot your corpse to get your stuff back. And there yeah. was hell levels where it would take like four times as long to get through the level. It was crazy what was going on. Crazy corpse runs, they would really punish you for dying. Like WoW, honestly, the game I mean, that's like a whole broader, newer issue, but the modern game's problem is that they kind of like gave too much convenience and it kind of yep. made the game play more like a solo RPG rather than like a online community. Like the thing about like MMOs in that era is like you were forced to make friends. You were forced to talk to people because playing the game alone was just disadvantageous. If you would same goes for EverQuest where like now, if you wanted to, you could, you could max a character on wow. And honestly probably raid without ever speaking to someone for any reason ever yeah i can never group on everquest anymore so i i just don't play because i it's it's boring to just sit there and root rod uh the same enemies over and over again and uh, by the way folks this is like serious nerd territory i just dropped the term root rot and if you know what that means uh you're an og yeah straight we're we're deep in it right now as far as as far <laughs> as uh nerd phantom goes but on, in a fucked up way like MMOs and games like that were really like my first crack at like seeking out community and common interest of people. And then obviously later I would go on to do everything we've been talking about in my life. And I think the the fundamental interest was the same in this idea of like, I want the people I already have in my life and like new people I haven't met. 
I want to link with all of them with a common goal or common idea or common interest in mind. And uh, a, a virtual world facilitated that, you know, as funny as it is to say. Yeah, no, I did the same thing. And I still do it. You know, I, I, I play Warzone every week. I'm on Twitch all day. It's I love it. It's fun. It's cool. No, I'm in the same same tip. Like, it's just a he- healthy thing in life. It, ca- it can be unhealthy, too. But like a healthy palate cleanser to other things for me. It's all about balance. You know, you've got the band, you've got MMORPGs, you've got friends, you you, you just got to mix it up. Exactly. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. I've had times where the balance is very off, but I think I have it all in a pretty good place right now. That's good to hear. Yes. So let's recap, folks. Here's what we're going to do. Number one, if you somehow have not heard Koyo yet, I mean, what are you waiting for? Do it. Do it today. Do it tonight. Right, Joey? Oh, yeah. It's, it's as easy as opening up your preferred streaming app or YouTube. It's all right there. Yeah, do it. And start with Straight North. That's the latest single. I love it. I love it. I listened to it again today. Highly recommended, but I mean, it's all recommended. And uh, Koyo is going to be out on tour. We can't announce the tour yet, but it's happening, right? Yes, we have a, we have a full US in September, which will be announced end of this month. And we have Europe in November, which will also be announced at the end of this month. So everything's coming. It's just, you know, can't, can't violate those announced day protocols. Exactly. And Koyo will be at Furnace Fest. So we have to see that, right? Oh, yes. We have to. That That is a, a must if you're traveling. You know, I'm very excited for that. And I think because it's on the later half of the uh, the tour that we're doing, I think that will be a real like uh, high point to look forward to. I mean, we, we give it our all in general, but like there are always those special moments and special pockets on tours where like the ante's a little higher. And that is definitely that's an ante up show. That's a that's a leave nothing leave nothing undone on that fucking set. Like we're trying to really fucking run it for that. Exactly. And folks, I mean, I've been going to shows for over 20 years and I haven't felt the things I feel at Furnace Fest. So come on, what more do you need? Straight up. You know, we're we're very all in on Coil right now just because it's a very time consuming thing. It's like literally our everything at the moment. And uh, obviously we got that LP in the works, but if you're bored, people are always welcome to check out our, you know, prior projects and stuff that will always, you know, we all, all these other bands still play shows and get love where, where we can figure it out. But, uh, I played a band called typecast and we're slowly working on new stuff. Uh, Marazzo, TJ and Sal played a band called rain of salvation, straight edge hardcore band and still play. And Harold plays in hangman, uh, who, you know, that's members of pain of truth and that whole squad. So, you know, those are always open doors to anyone who's interested in hearing it because, you know, we'll always kind of be in our, we'll always be around playing shows where we can with all those bands too. So I encourage those as, uh, as pacifiers for those who might be just discovering Koyo and want a little more. You can always check out our other stuff. And I have, I have a nifty little playlist on our Spotify page for Koyo that directs you to all that. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Let, let, you got to see where it all started, folks. You have to. For sure. Part of the deal, you know? Well, Joey, uh, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show tonight. You know, I'm looking forward to more from Koyo, and uh, it was great to speak with you. You as well. And obviously, thank you so much for having me and uh, just appreciate the time and the energy for real. There you have it, Joey Chiramonti. 
excellent conversation. I loved speaking with Joey. I love the band. It was really funny hearing about that wild show experience in Arizona and just the insanity happening there. Uh, I'm happy that things are blowing up for the band. The, the great tours that they've been on with Knocked Loose and, and everybody else. I'm really excited to see them at Furnace Fest. And I'm always very happy to speak to a fellow gamer. I mean, he's playing World of Warcraft. You know I love that. I could talk about that all day. Great band, right, Nathan? Yeah, great band. I, I think it's really cool, all the upcoming, like, up and coming is what I meant, not upcoming. Uh, up and coming, like, hardcore and punk bands that are coming into the scene now. Uh, I try to follow them as much as I can. There's so many <laughs> at the moment, but a great band. I love what they're doing, and I love supporting any new bands that are revitalizing the scene, basically. Absolutely. There is a deluge of amazing bands in hardcore and metalcore and post-hardcore and email, whatever you want to call it, everything under this wonderful umbrella we're under. There's so much good stuff happening now, and I'm happy to be part of it in my own small way. So thank you again, Joey. Wonderful to have you on the show. So let's talk about how we're doing. I mean, why not? And yeah. Nathan... I want to start with you because people hear from me enough. I mean, lay it on us. This is Nathan's first time back to the show since episode 52. That yeah, was way back in March of 2021. If you haven't heard Nathan's interview on our show, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. It's one of my favorites. But Nathan, lay it on us. What's going down? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, in that amount of time, so much has happened. You know, as we're talking now about my new band, <laughs> uh, I've been, you know, trying to put that together, do all the things, you know, this whole thing started with me deciding to go solo and then doing a couple of albums solo and like almost acoustically to an extent, um, and then going, nope, I want a band <laughs> um, and, and getting back into that, you know? So with that, done a few tours, done, well, done a lot of things and just been sort of recreating what I do with this new band. So how is it going transitioning uh, to the new band? I mean, do you, do you struggle at all? Do, do people yeah. get hung up on the past? Tell us about the process. It is a struggle. It's, it's difficult. I mean, you know, I was in Boy Sets Fire for nearly 30 years, you know, and it made a big impact, which I am absolutely, I, I think anybody in that band is sort of beside themselves that it made such an impact. You know what I mean? Uh, while at the same time, it does get um, rough sometimes when you're trying to do something new, you're doing what your heart is telling you to do. And not everybody is going to be like, cool, new thing. You know, um, I yeah. think that a lot of people right now are very interested in nostalgia. <laughs> and um, that's not really my thing. Like I was saying earlier, I like to keep moving. I like to keep doing new things. I like to keep... Uh, and you know, so it's fine. You know, it's, it's, I, I've, I've put it on my own plate <laughs> to try and prove myself in another realm. So, you know, it's a struggle and not only that, but like putting together a new band, anybody that's put together a band knows how hard it is, you know, member lineup changes, all this different stuff, like between, uh, and not only that, but I would say, with what I do, it's, it's almost more difficult because I put a lot of emphasis on the type of people that I have in this band. 
there is a very strict uh, ideology to an extent and a way of being, uh, whether that's just them as a person or on tour, because what I'm promoting as this band, there's a big push towards speaking on LGBTQ issues. There's, uh, it's very political. It's very, I mean, you know, if you heard Boyce Sets Fire, that's what I do, you know? Right. Um, but it's, so it's important to me to have people involved that are also as vocal and feel as strongly about these issues as I do. And they're not just there to be in a band. Yeah. And from seeing everything on social media, it looks like there's a big focus on diversity, which is great because yes. we always need that because we're always going to slip back into stupid mindsets that isolate other people. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it must be difficult because I couldn't hold a band together with zero standards. So yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to put a band together and have everybody mentally on the right mindset and, yeah. and, have, and have it be diverse as well, you know, yeah. it, it's got to be a struggle. Well, and creating that diversity without falling into tokenism. Right. You know, because that can be just as bad is, is when you're going, well, I'm going to make sure I have X number of this kind of person in my right. band. Uh, so you look into your pool of friends and those who are talented and those who you feel can do that job, but you do give sort of preferential treatment to those who you feel not only will uphold a certain standard in ideology, but also I want to make sure that the people on stage are reflecting the audience, you know, uh, because not only are we a politically and socially forward band, but also we speak on very deep personal topics related to politics. So if I'm up there and it's just a bunch of white dudes, straight dudes on stage, it's not going to hit the same way. You know, what if there's someone in the audience that is touched by something that we are saying, but they don't see themselves reflected on that stage? They can't go to somebody in that, in, in that band and say, hey, I feel safe talking to you because you reflect me, you know? Um, so that's, that's a very important thing for this band. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. You make some great points. You know, diversity is something I strive for on this show as well, because let's be honest, in the scene and in general, I think there is just dominated by a, a lot of white people, white guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. the bands and everything it's else. Straight white dudes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I try as hard as I can to be inclusive and mix it up a bit. And, and that's sort of our mission as well. And I think the mission of any of us in this scene should be to highlight bands and to highlight artists who don't fit that mold. You right. know what I mean? Bringing in more queer artists, bringing in more artists of color, bringing in more women, bringing, you know what I mean? Calling attention to that. And I think that's also something that we try to do as a band when we bring an opening band with us or we're promoting other bands that we make sure that we are promoting other bands that maybe people don't normally see in the hardcore scene uh, or in the punk scene, you know? So, you know, I, I just feel like that's very important. It's important to me. It doesn't have to be important to anyone else. I like to keep that mindset to where, so I don't end up lecturing people, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, start your own band, do whatever you like. But for me, I feel this is important. So I'm going to do this. Yeah. And that's the way to go. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Earlier, you were talking about uh, transitioning from Boy Sets Fire to Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses and mm-hmm. you, how you don't like to be stuck in the past. And neither mm-hmm. do I. That's yep. that's something I put a focus on on this show is mm-hmm. I don't want to just talk about the past. I don't want to just talk about 20 or 30 years ago or whatever. I want to know what people are doing now. I want to yep. know what they're up to now. I mm-hmm. have a focus on now and the future. And that's kind of how I live my life, too. Now, don't get me wrong. I love nostalgia, but I love nostalgia in terms of like old movies and video games and uh, looking at a commercial I saw when I was a kid and that kind of stuff. So, you know, when it comes to this, I'm focused on the now and it sounds like you are too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what have you got coming up? How can we see you? Where can we hear you? What's going down? The best places to check us out is on Instagram. Uh, Yeah. Honestly, I, I I have a Twitter account, but dear God, <laughs> like it is so hard being on Twitter. Um, and honestly, with Facebook, I basically, Instagram's my jam. All right. I love Instagram. Um, so I just put all my posts on Instagram and they go out to the other social media platforms, you know? So wherever you go, you're going to get the same thing. So if you look up Nathan Gray music or Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses, you're bound to stumble upon my Instagram. But past that, there's so much coming up. Uh, We're in the middle of writing a new album. Uh, I'm hoping to get into the studio by the beginning of next year. And while we're writing... The rest of this year is just total chaos. <laughs> it's um, I have in a good way, in a good way. Have an up to upcoming tour, uh, Euro tour that's on sale right now. That is in November. We have a U.S. tour coming in October, which is going to be on sale this month. Um, and basically, it's planned around going down to the fest in Gainesville and playing there. It's it's going to be a lot going on. <laughs> Absolutely. All, all while trying to write an album. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. It sounds like, you know, this is the best kind of busy though. Like a yes. lot of awesome yes. stuff to do, you know? Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I act as if it's overwhelming and it is, but at the same time, if it wasn't happening, I'd be so depressed. Yes. And well, we went through that, <laughs> you know, there were, there was a whole two years of that not happening and I nearly lost my damn mind. Exactly. That's, I think about times off. That's what gets me out of depression is thinking about times when I was addicted, when I was alone, when I mm-hmm. had nothing going on and I would just sit on the internet or watch the same movies over and over again. And I wasn't creating anything and I wasn't doing anything. And now I'm just constantly churning out different kinds of content and creating mm-hmm. and writing music and all this stuff. And I'm so grateful every mm-hmm. day that I get to do that. Yeah. It's, it's awesome because I, even as somebody who deals with like depression and anxiety and stuff like that, it doesn't take it away, but it definitely makes it more manageable. You know what I mean? When you're not just sitting there doing nothing, when you have something to do, it absolutely makes it more manageable. Exactly. And you know, Mm -hmm. filling up the time is great. And once you're filling it up with cool stuff, you're creating, that's the best thing of all. It's very rewarding. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And Nathan, I want to say thank you for sitting in the co-host chair with me. It's been a while since I've spoken to you, and I'm very happy to get to catch up with you. Wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Just a couple of reminders. New Scene t-shirts are out there. Go pick one up at our Death Wishing store. 
I've got the new gaming YouTube channel up. I'll be doing weekly uploads until I run out of material. So check that out. I'll be doing a couple more Twitch streams. The excitement never stops here at the new scene. And we're back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening. And until next time.